Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 107, an episode brought to you by Harvey Norman. Stop number four on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, commences in just a few days on April 10th and will feature the world's best men's and women's surfers at the historic Bells Beach, where they'll all be looking to shore up their positions before the mid-season cut following CT number five at Margaret River. The bottom third of both the men's and women's CT fields will be dropped following CT5, and they'll have to compete on the Challenger Series to earn a spot back onto the CT in 2023. The Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach will play a critical role in how this shakes out, and there's a lot on the line. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Also, if you haven't already, get your fantasy teams locked and loaded at worldsurfleague.com slash fantasy and join the lineup podcast fantasy league while you're at it. We're in the private leagues. The password is lineup, all lowercase. Our league right now is being led by Team Wafflebean with Team Booth taking out the last event in Portugal. Congrats to both of them and good luck to everyone at the upcoming Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. All right, episode 107. Today's guest is someone who is a repeat friend on the podcast. Her first episode was from last April, where we discussed what it would be like to qualify for the very first Rip Curl WSL Finals, which she then went and did last September at Lower Trestles and finished third in the world. However, now, after the first three events on tour, she is ranked 17th and well below the midseason cutoff line. So these next two stops at Bells Beach and Margaret River will be critical to how her season shakes out. Despite the headwinds, however, she remains candid, articulate, and positive about the road ahead. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Australia's Sally Fitzgibbons. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> how many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> All right, we're back with none other than 2021 WSL Final Five member and longtime tour stalwart, Sally Fitzgibbon. Sally, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Dave, you can't get rid of me. I'm back. <laughs> I'm here to stay. I'm pulling off a chair. Yes, yes. I mean, the podcast is yours if you want it. As I said, you can take it over at the end of this episode. I think it would be the perfect handoff. Um, unfortunately, we can't reverse that. I can't, I can't come anywhere near what you can do on a surfboard, so we're going to have to just keep it one way. I can be your assistant, though. <laughs> Good trade. Good trade. Good trade. So what's going on? Um, we, we had a few events, a couple of events in Hawaii, event in Portugal, are you back home in Australia? And if so, are you at home in Jeroa or are you down at Bells already for uh, practice for the upcoming Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach? 
I've made it back from the Fast and Furious few months. Um, the adventure was real. And uh, just the climate change was really real. I don't know if you noticed that one. Just Hawaii straight into just Antarctica and, <laughs> and just four meals. And, um, yeah, I don't know. The thrill of traveling, it just never gets old. Like you set out like this little treasure hunt to get to the stops and get set up and make it homely and um, be in your best kind of energies, get over the jet lag and just body-wise as well, just be in tune and, the time you get to that heat and pulling on the jersey, I don't know, it's this feel that you're after. And, um, yeah, I think the thrill of trying to find that never gets old. So um, I did. I came all the way back home. I've been to and from Bells already just to reignite the flame, just say hello. And it's been a few years because of COVID and that place is so beautiful. Um, I could definitely live down that part of the world. But, um, yeah, just to see the waves again and then come home has just been divine. I don't know. It just always gets me my little burrow and there's just so much space and empty lineups um, just to surf by myself. I just, once you go away on tour, you actually realize that still exists, the solo surf. <laughs> I'm sure being on tour is the, not only do you not get solo surfs, but you don't even get just surfs with civilians. You get them with the world's best surfers. And it's probably one of those things where it's like, you know, yes, I feel motivated to stay very sharp in terms of how I surf but holy crap it's like it's a bunch of alpha predators in the same sort of ecosystem and I'm sure getting waves is a challenge <laughs> that is so true how many do you think like 50 world tour surfers equals really in actual surfers it's a good question right because I mean this is I thank you to LinkedIn I just got my reminder for how old I am so I'm into my 17th year with the company. But I remember when I started and we were traveling a ton and all my friends were like, oh my God, you must get like the best waves ever. And it's like, yes, but also think of it like this. If the waves are good, we're definitely working. And if they're not good, then yes, maybe I'm surfing, but also I'm only getting scraps, even maybe like scraps off the scraps because of like, as you pointed out, it's like 50 CT surfers in a lineup is probably the equivalent of like, I don't know, 10,000 civilians. It's very crowded in my opinion. Yeah, I've definitely stopped paddling when certain surfers start paddling. Like they start like 20 meters further out and I just fold my arms and I'm like, they're totally getting this wave. And no joke, it's like watching just the speedboat come at you. And then the wake <laughs> right. like knocks you off your board because they're paddling so fast. And I was like, I told you, they never miss a wave. So it's really hard to get waves. I think it's completely like altered my psychology as a surfer where all I do, even when I'm not traveling for the tour, like surfing at my local, like I'm just like, I'm just here for the scraps. Like, you know, like I don't even like, I've, been, I've surfed here my whole life. I should be out the back getting sets. But in my brain, I'm like, you're going to be waiting forever. You don't have that much time. Just go inside. And then being on tour too, like in the event that you paddle out at one of those spots and try to, I, you know, I think if you're on tour or even if you're there to watch, it's, it's always polite to let the people who are competing for points and, you know, money and like the world title to like obviously get your waves. So if we're like lowers or something and I'm like, I'm just going to sit, sit on the inside corner left. But the second one of the CT surfers moves into like the scrap zone, I'm like, hey, hey, hey. 
No, no, no. You're out the back. Like, do you stay off my little bit? No, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Do you ever look left or right that I'm sitting right next to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, there's certain people like it's, I mean, I mean, CT surfers are human beings. It's the same as being out there with like anybody. Like you could connect with someone else and be like, okay, we're going to split this. This is fine. We're going to work together. It's all good. And so I think if I ever I surf with you, I'm never, I'm never in the way. I feel like we only work together, which is always nice. I, I always, once I drive out of home, I just do the like, Rest in peace, catching waves. I don't actually go on to it to catch waves. I go to like admire like a, a real life surf movie and then I catch my scraps and then I'm like, because it's a real thing, like after you battle with like the local posse of people trying to be like, this is still our wave and then, you know, 50 of the best and I just kind of, sometimes you don't want to give away all your energy to that battle because it's not really the battle I came for. <laughs> it's not my story. So I just kind of, work on my positive psyche on the inside scrap. So it's really the place to be. Like there's really good vibes in there. I love it. Well, you know what? Let's before we get into the 2022 season, the first time you came on the podcast was actually just about a year ago. It was last April and that CT season had yet to unfold and we covered so much great stuff in that episode. For those who haven't listened to it, like go check it out for sure because we're not going to talk about all the same stuff. But one of your goals was to make the Rip Curl WSL finals at Lower Trestles, which you did. And so before we kind of move into this season, I want to kind of go back and just get your... How do you feel about that event, I guess, through the prism of looking back through a few months? Like I, I thought you surfed very, very well. But yeah, how did, how did it go for you on the day? What did you think about the format? Um, and what did you take away, I guess, sort of personally and professionally from that experience of competing for a world title that was definitely going down on a single day? Thanks, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity just to look back and reflect because it goes so fast. Like a lot of people kind of like look in on the experience and they're just like, oh, it must be so fun enjoying this whole experience. We don't really get to enjoy it when you're in it so much, if that makes sense, because there's so much to get ready logistically and get to the start line um, to get there healthy because we were still traversing through COVID. We still are. So to reach that goal, I was really proud to get to the start line, to get to the very first like finals five, especially being like a part of the first like Olympic class as well. There were two huge milestones of mine and they happened in, um, in the same year. And um, yeah, just getting to the start line. And um, I feel like the day itself, was like always comes down to this in surfing, but it was like not really as I imagined it um, in terms of like performance wise because, you know, traditional trestles is like the few weeks leading up and in training. um, It's so progressive and I was having so much fun kind of piecing together a few combinations that I really wanted to back myself and and go to the air and um, I saw myself kind of, in those moments um but we did we showed up on finals day we had the false alarm the day before which really got the energy like kind of surging because they're like it's gonna be on no matter what and then that big fog rolled in and i was like what like you can actually cancel finals day and there was all like you remember the like the yellow alert and everything it's like yellow alert it's all happening (laughs) um and then we got there the day it was on and it was sort of uh, we woke up and it looked almost like bells, like real mm. rolly. It was kind of foggy still, it was moody. There's kind of these chunky lefts as well and rights. And I think that was the reason for why like some of the performances were maybe a little lackluster and a bit lower than you'd expected somewhere about, you know, they were just a bit so-so. And then 
some were like really heightened if they got right through the mix into the end of the day as the waves started cleaning up. I guess I personally felt like I was really proud of my strategic performances and also like my instincts and adapting to what scenarios I was in and reading like the tempo of my heats. Um, but I did feel as though that I didn't really get that moment, you know, where you get into a big section and you really like sink your teeth and, you know, that like big, like that's what you sort of after on a finals day where you just like open up the wings and your board and body is just like just sticking to the wave. So I felt maybe as well you only get a couple of opportunities and if you do pick a bit of a sudsy one or a foamy one, it's um kind of took a lot of time to get back to the spot in the lineup. But at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, I was like, seriously, I was one decision away um, from being in the final matchup, which I was like, whoa, that's like so close. Um, Tati got me in my matchup. Um, yeah, I was. she sort of swings the heat a lot on like a mid-ranger one. And so I went that one, but then, yeah, there was the eight-pointer behind. I had to sit front row and just watch that thing. And I was like, that's the wave. And um, so, yeah, so it was a bit to digest. I was like, oh what could have been, what I could have done, all those things. That takes a while. But at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, finishing the year at number three spot was um, was a big year for me. Huge year. And it's interesting. I mean, the thing that I remember kind of digesting on the day and, and to, to this day, just how heightened and crystallized like every moment was for me. And I think it was just one of those things where so much was on the line. You mentioned Tatiana, like Tatiana was one maneuver away from the world title, right? Like she could have turned the heat against Carissa by finishing that wave. And, and it, and we've all kind of talked about a lot, but obviously it wasn't like a difficult maneuver for her. It was one that she'd probably done on that day, 10 different times, but just one of those things. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was such an experiment in the sense of we believed that everyone was going to rise to the occasion. We believed it was going to be exciting. And it kind of exceeded a lot of expectations in that regard. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting. Another one of the interesting things that came out of that redesign for the tours and competition framework that I want to get your take on is for the first time, probably since you joined the CT, maybe even longer, you joined the CT in 2009. I'd imagine that your schedule is pretty busy before then, too. But for the first time in probably your career, you had a chunk of time after the finals that were in September before the season started in Hawaii in January where you weren't required to do any competition. And I want to I want to hear about what you got up to, how you stayed sharp, if you properly let yourself decompress. What, what was it like for you and, and how big of a change did that feel like for you compared to the previous, like really like 15 years? It, it was pretty wild because... Walking out of that final quarantine, that was like six weeks, well, pretty much the whole year is like isolated and quarantine life. But that final like hard one in Sydney and I'd run like the, um, you know, like the belt on the treadmill. I'd run that thing like the rubber off it. Like it was just like treadmill rubber all over my room and I was like, that's it. That's the last one. And like almost that freedom feeling and getting home and it did took a while to decompress and just like get the body back on the clock where it woke up by itself to fully kind of step away from surfing I've I've got my eight to ten year probably ten year renovation cycle of a house so you know jumping into that is um is stressful and exciting but really like you only get a little moment because what was proposed like the upcoming season 
is that you're going to start at like pipeline, like the most challenging wave in the world. So it's not as if you can just be like, oh, I'll just like cruise for a couple months and then a week before I'll just get everything organized and head head to Hawaii. Um, it's like you think about that like every day. That's what gets you out of bed to go to training. And we have some waves that like a ledgy and slavic to kind of prepare you, but nothing really um, prepares you for how – Oh, I don't know. It's just dropping in on the mega ramp of the skatey ball in that, instead of the little half pipe at your local <laughs> skate park. It's just like, whoa. And just the energy of that place and what it requires. So, yeah, I, I love a challenge. That's what I'm here for, to push myself, to go outside my box of, of where I'm comfortable. But definitely leading up to the start of the season, that's, that's not comfortable or relaxing. Totally. And it's interesting. I was having this conversation with – one of our judges who's here in uh, Ventura the other day, and we were just talking about how the years unfolded so far and, and, and the topic of how well a lot of the rookies and the newer surfers were doing came up. And we were saying, you know, it's interesting because with the tour redesign, we put some pretty serious waves in those first five events. You, know, you got Pipeline, Sunset Beach, Super Tubos in the winter, Bells Beach, Margaret River. And initially the thought was, well, they're, they're pretty serious waves and, and they probably lend themselves to the surfers who have that kind of experience, to veterans on the CT that are a little bit more primed and ready to, to take on serious waves and to take on serious waves in competition. But one of the things we were reflecting on that maybe actually helped some of these newer surfers was the fact that the younger surfers never really had that rhythm that, that surfers like yourself did in the sense of you started on the CT in 2009, and basically for the last two decades before COVID, the CT would start at Snapper Rocks in March and then kind of evolve from there, meaning that your body rhythm was probably attuned to that in a lot of ways. So putting everyone into pipeline in the middle of winter in January to start the season is it's pretty disruptive. And I'm wondering if you've sort of thought about that or even sort of felt it and, and sort of reflected on that in the terms of how these first few events have gone, as well as sort of how, how the rookies are performing as well. I believe there's definitely pros and cons to the situation. Like there's always pluses and minuses. And, you know, going to a wave like Hawaii, you were just going to someone else's territory, really. Like we became rookies all over again, let's face it. And, you know, you show up there at Pipeline and, you know, probably the pro is that it is the start of a new era for female surfing. Like to start there at Pipeline, it's never happened before. Like here we go. Even though you grow up at a wave like Pipeline, if you're ready and you go there mentally and you do some preparation, you know you're going to be learning on the fly, but there is a chance where heats at Pipeline can really just go one way or the other, even for the best in the business like that have been doing it forever. like They just may not have the rhythm or you just could get the wave of your life. Everyone talks about it. Like You just have to pile down that 30 minutes, the lineups are clear, and it's probably your best chance of getting a proper wave out there. And so... It can be a day. And that's what I always tell myself. I was like, paddling out when you leave the shore, there is an equal opportunity here to come out as the winner of this heat. Like the rookies, like we had a 10-year gap, like this lost time where, you know, if those events were there over that 10 years, you would say, well, the veterans are in going to be in this dominant position. They're going to be favorites for any of these events here. But the actual fact was that the rookies – had been competing there for 10 years. 
like it's like the opposite to what you think. Like they have junior events and they train there, they wake up in their own beds and they're going to do the same thing, but it's a CT now. So really we had to use all our vet knowledge and experience even to like kind of level the playing field to go out there and say that we may be, you know, have the upper hand. So um, it's a really interesting conversation. Uh, I, I feel like no matter where you jump in, it's an opportunity to grow surfing, to learn something. And in these lineups and iconic waves, it's like everyone talks about, it's really challenging to get a wave. So just to go out there, you're like, I've got a chance to get a wave. And that's the most exciting thing ever. So I'll show up uh, as long as I've got that locker room spot every single time. I don't care if I've competed at the sport or not and just go out and just give it an Aussie crack. But yeah, you were definitely up against some different like obstacles and just starting from maybe the 110 meter mark instead of the 100. Makes a ton of sense. And I mean, it was such such an exciting way to start the season. And, you know, having been involved in the redesign conversations, it was one of those things where, okay, if we're not going to finish the season at Pipeline, like really the best places to start off at pipeline in a lot of ways in terms of excitement. I felt like both on the men's and the women's side, like everyone performed so, so well and the waves pumped. And it is one of those things, like obviously there's sort of online conversations that happen at every event. But as you pointed out, like just sitting there and absorbing how dynamic and shifty and dangerous that lineup is, even when there's not a competition on is so helpful. I always think about like when I was a kid and it's like, you're trying to learn how to surf and you're like, I know I need to get barreled. I need to know to do errors and stuff like that. And then a magazine would come. This is back in the before, before times. A magazine would come and you'd see a photo of Derek Ho standing tall in this perfect, like drawn your notebook kind of barrel at pipeline. And you're like, okay, like the physics map out, like I could stand up on a board. I could stand like that. Like, why can't I get barreled? And, and it's just something that even when the internet comes on and webcasts and videos and stuff, it just doesn't translate the same, all the positioning and all the obstacles that go into getting into that kind of Derek Ho position. And oh it is something God. that even if you never paddle out there, like sitting on the beach for an hour and you're like, holy crap, this is this whole lineup is like a living entity. It's all shifting together and the takeoffs moving and some waves are good and some waves are bad. And holy crap, it, it it's intense. It's so intense. Like you don't really figure that like that magazine position that you have to take off about 30 feet deeper than you'll ever be comfortable to take off. and you know, you're going to be paddling straight down this thing looking at pretty much like it's just like dry reef when you look down. <laughs> and then you have to make that thing on the mega ramp and then you kind of have to like square back up and look and the tunnel's like it seems like, oh, I'm on a closeout, but that's like one that that's how you get in the magazine position. Right. And if it's not closing out, you're not getting barreled. That's kind of the thing where you're like, oh, we're safe. And it's like, I didn't get barreled. Okay, great. Like, <laughs> oh, I think one of my best surfs when I was over there was pre um, the competition starting. And even to paddle out was victory because like the channel was like, it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's not really a channel anymore. And, um, <laughs> and so I paddled out with Marcy, with Carolyn, and we were out there and it was like so scary. You know, if you don't like laugh, you cry, that saying. It's like we just found it like hilarious that like we're sitting at the back and there was the biggest ones coming and we're just like, there's no possible way we can get into that. 
like with our size boards and our little toothpick boards and just like everything about like the situation and the crowd obviously but we're just sitting and we're like oh my gosh like go this one go right and it was just like the most death looking thing. Like it was just death to go. And just like you actually start laughing because if you don't laugh, you'll cry because it's really <laughs> scary. What's well, the, the Kurt Vonnegut Jr., the author, he's got a comment. I'm going to paraphrase it, but he's like, oh, you know, there's two responses to trauma. You can either laugh or you can cry. And I prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. And I think that's right. Like, <laughs> may as well laugh like, <laughs> like what we do it out here. Yeah. And so we had three events, you know, Pipeline, Sunset Beach, and Super Turbos in Panish. You got a ninth, a ninth, and a ninth. Never been in the elimination round. And and some of the heats have been slow, and some of them have been decent, but it just haven't been on the other side of that to get to that next round. Competitively, do you feel like you've been in the right space? Do you feel like you haven't been making mistakes? Do you feel like your surfing's all there? It's just one of those things where it's like, it's just a small sample set. And sometimes that happens in surfing where it's like just haven't moved past that ninth place round. Dave, how would you feel, you reckon? <laughs> like you go into this situation, like how would you feel? You're just like you went in and finals by like a minute ago, you put in the same effort and it equaled like a finals five thing. And then you go in and the same effort, but it's equals like you got to walk like all the way to the end of the locker room to like the end. Like, yeah, the end, <laughs> the other end. Like, if you ain't first, you're last. Like, you're actually back there going, oh, it's like the computer crashes and you just lost, like, a bunch of your work and you're like, oh, does this mean you have to possibly, like, pretty potentially start again? And you just go, oh, it was like, I don't know, it is like that that series you're watching. You're watching Netflix series and you just hope for that you thought there was like a big crescendo at the end like this really exciting episode but it actually turned out to be like the dip and you're like oh where does that go and it's just got everything in it and everyone like comes up and goes oh how does it feel like so and it's like well it doesn't feel like awesome it's like (laughs) what's going on (laughs) you're like oh okay like i like you're happy to show up for anything but when anything does show up at your door you're like oh okay like I thought I had some problems at the end of finals because I was like ah, oh, okay I was one decision away some of these decisions mm. could equal a world title but they're really insignificant when it means like you can't actually buy for the world title if you're not on the tour right yeah and I guess that's my question right because Again, we're dealing with a small sample set and it's part of the redesign too, right? Where it is all going to be a small sample set before that mid-season cutoff. But I was surprised, like, as you pointed out, you're like, well, I'm ranked 17th right now. It doesn't feel awesome. But you haven't (laughs) had like a bad event, in my opinion. You just haven't had a good one yet. You know what I mean? And I guess my point is like the the heat against Malia Pipe, I remember it being pretty slow, right? So it's something where it's like as an athlete, you're like, look, that happens in the ocean sometimes. Sunset heat against India Robinson, like more waves. Like she she had, she had a couple of good sevens and that's the way that goes. And then Panish similarly with Steph where it's like, it's a little bit of a slow heat. That's a beach great that happens. And so I don't know, like I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody, certainly not for yourself, but it's one of those things where I can imagine that a, uh, again, a WSL final five surfer like yourself has gone, had three events, haven't really had like a horrible result, but yeah, I'm up against it here moving into these last two ahead of the mid-season cut. Yeah, sport in general, it's just it's like a high stakes game. Like if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. And and like you were saying, like a pipe 
for sure every event I showed up to I was like prepped like as in fit firing like excited energized surfing for everything ready and then I guess heats of pipe I was first heat of the day still kind of got that like nervous wobbly energy and if you're trying to fight like obviously the aim of the game you've got to get tubed and so you can't really just like do a couple of turns, then work your way into getting tubes. It was like, no, no, it's like a bit bigger day. Um, you got to get the one. And then it played out kind of in a sense that like I had an understanding of how to win that heat and I just sort of maybe one laps and took a wave um, instead of going and trying to sit underneath Malia. And she got her one on back door and that was it. All the low scoring, like we're only – kind of trading threes and fours and then going over to sunset it was like I'm really comfortable in the lineup there but just the overlapping heat style I've never surfed overlapping there and I just I didn't get the rhythm right I was sort of like in the spot when the heat before me you know have priority and they were in the spot at the same time and I didn't really kind of react to sitting way underneath them if they missed it so I was kind of in the spot where I'd normally sit for a heat and in all my lineups but that just happened that that would mean I was in third priority because it wasn't my priority heat. So India had a great jump on that one. And I was like, okay, I'll move on to Portugal. And I was like, ready, 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 let's go. And um, and then come up against, you know, one of my all-time rivals, like one of the greats in round three. So for Steph and I, that was like kind of a bit of a do or die. Like we're both needing results and had the momentum and everything. And it just comes down to like, a couple of end turns and you know either riding out or hitting the sandbar as you're riding out because it's so shallow and you hit the sandbar and you don't ride out and that's it and it's sort of like ba-boom all done (laughs) and so you really just have to enjoy it I guess while it lasts because you never figure it's it's when it becomes really real when it's like the thing you care about most and the thing you want to do the most when it's like under threat you're like your body tends to like go all cementy and like oh and tighten up and I guess for me it's like similar to what maybe Ash Barty did at Wimbledon when one of her coaches was saying like okay well you five one down in the second set and she's like well I may as well start swinging freely because I better be warmed up for the third set but it just so happened that she started swimming so freely that she ended up winning the set the second set everyone knows how that went down and won her first like Grand Slam because she was, yeah. So just like going up and going, well, it's the same effort, the intent of my surfing, nothing's broken, nothing's really different. It's just a couple of decisions here or there. So for me now, like looking at this situation, that as again, as I said again, there's pluses and minuses, but the big plus is that like it's the same nervous energy you get when you're a rookie and you don't know what's going to happen next because you haven't surfed these events or you haven't been in that situation you're going to be up against like the top seeds, like straight off in the, and that's the thing too. So you can't really like surf your way into an event and then open up. It's like, I got to come in and start swinging freely <laughs> against, against the big heavy hitters and just hope it's my day because there's no real other option. And it's, and I guess in a sense, like it's so cool when it's like everything tries is telling you to like tighten up and streak and like, you get to like keep trying to push those limits and say like no, no no I'm not ready for that I'm ready to like pull my best surfing down and and surf really freely I love it 
We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what lies ahead for Sally Fitzgibbons. We'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. So before we went to break, you were talking about the idea, and I love the Ash Barty reference of swinging freely, and it's it's so interesting. And I do think that that maps pretty well with surfing too. I mean, Kelly had like an entire like movie about letting go, and that was how like letting go of everything is how he freed himself up to actually surf his best, you know. And and I think you see that quite often in surfing too. And it's it's tricky. I, I just from the outside observing, I feel like it's tricky to be able to generate that in a real natural and organic way, which seems like the most effective way, as opposed to manufacturing kind of a little bit of, oh, I'm good. I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, no pressure, blah, blah, blah. It's like you could tell with some surfers, like the more they say that, the more they're trying to manufacture that psychology for themselves. They're lying, and they actually, babe, they're, they're lying. lying. <laughs> they're liars. They're lying to themselves. <laughs> And it it manifests out of the water. But oh my god! But I don't blame them, right? Because in their brains, they're like, okay, you're tightening up. You need to. You need to like. You need to manifest like being free. 
but the more you talk about it, the more you tighten up kind of thing. Have you thought about that much? And is if so, how do you kind of generate organic looseness as you're talking about? Oh, it's so true. It's called like cement legs, cement body. You know, when you go to do it and you just so much ner- like just pressure and the nerves are just like weighing down on you. And it's like everything, pretty much like putting the most California seaweed in your leg road. Do you know how heavy that is? And yes. then trying to do a turn and you're just like, it's not going to happen. So it's oh, easier said than done. I feel like there's this moment where it releases you and you you have to put in the work though. Like you have to be really honest with yourself and your team. And like you said, like you can lie all you want. Like, oh, yeah, this is like exactly where I wanted to be. Like everyone wants to be challenged. Like oh, it's just I'm just so grateful to be here. Like obviously that's all the case. But you care about this. You care deeply about it. Like I wouldn't be showing up after – I don't know, how old am I now? <laughs> I wouldn't still be showing up like psyched to be there if, you know, if if it's just, I don't know, it's just something that it's an expression after all these years too, like you're surfing too, it's personal. And, and yeah, so I guess to get back to your question, how do you do that freely? Each person has a different ticker. For me, I probably tick best when I'm really clear on my process I'm really clear on my like plan as well. Like, I like what um Jessie said in her podcast with Rosie when she said, uh, "Like failure is an option. It is totally an option. Like I failed in the first three events. It happened, but it's definitely like they always say, what you do next. But as well, like the follow up Jessie's one, the the other best one is like in Tom Brady's documentary when he said that like farmer's proverb and he's like you know when something good happened to him everyone's like oh my gosh that's gonna be the best thing for you and they're like he's just like oh we shall see and then like the same thing with the worst like when that worst thing ever happened and they're like that's terrible blah 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 blah. and he's like oh we shall see like I don't really know where this leads but I know that the next step like I'm not done competing so there's gonna be more competitions after Margaret River like no matter what the result, like it's like there's snapper, like you either go to G-Land or you go to snapper. So there's a next step. Like it's not the scariest thing in the world. So for me, once I'm like really clear on the plan and that like I still really love competing, it's just that the process, like the result is what seemingly a little bit hard at the moment, but it's like that's not in my control like at all. So totally. I just got to like show up at the next one. It does. It's a, I, I love that perspective. And I think the the farmer's proverb thing is so appropriate for something like that, too. It does seem to me just, again, like being able and having the privilege to kind of observe the world's best surfers for so long and see how they kind of ramp that psychology up ahead of a heat. It, it, observing observedly, it does seem like it's so much relies upon that first wave sometimes. And it's almost like a bell curve of like sometimes you see someone like, really hammer that first wave and finish it really hard. And if they're successful, it's like all that pressure releases and they're like, cool, I'm in the right space, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you don't, like if you hesitate or you get the seaweed legs or the cement legs and it it messes up, you're like, oh man, I got to kind of reset again. And it does feel like a lot of pressure is on that opening ride, even if you're just getting your feet in the wax, because if you're able to execute, you're like, cool, I'm ready for this. I'm surfing to my potential. 
we're going to Bell's Beach. Um, this podcast is being recorded about you know, a week and a half before the event starts. It'll come out a few days before it starts. And then Margaret River, both events where you have a deep history at, uh, both events where you've won, um, sometimes multiple times. And, and I guess, you know, kind of what we were talking about before the break, like so much has changed. There's been so much disruption, some by design, but there are some constants, you know, like the Bell's Beach event at Easter is a constant and has been a constant since before you and I were born, probably. And that that must feel, at least in terms of places where you are, you do have an opportunity to reset, like empowering in a way. It was pretty cool the other day where I pulled up in the car park. You know where the judges tower normally is? Like the whole mm-hmm. setup. You can't even get in that car park. And I pulled up like where the tower normally, you know, like right at the top of the stairs, like in my car. And I haven't done that for like 20 years. And I was like front row, like pole. And I was like, whoa, I haven't done this since I was a kid. And I was sitting there like looking straight at the ball. And I was just like, just kind of infatuated with like how, you know, many years I've done that pilgrimage, but how at home it is and how entrenched it is in your DNA, like to live this surf journey and compete at these spots. And yeah, there's something pretty cool about tradition. But I guess showing up at any of these sports or any tour events, um now as one of the experienced ones like as the vets like if i show up with that you know persona that like oh yeah i've been here before this is my Mm. stop like for me that doesn't really i don't know i it doesn't really get me to that place that feeling where i've had my ultimate performances like i almost go i have to be as hungry as the rookies are i have to have the hunger of a rookie of someone like on the challenger that's like right there fighting for their last breath that's never seen to a life and wants that so bad like that desperation almost but in a positive way like channeled into a calmness like i'm here and i have the desire to be here but when i sit out the bowl i am gonna be like you have to be just like the calmest demeanor and just kind of link in with what energy's there on the day because that place, you can't rush any of these sort of waves. Like it's not a fast and furious beach break. Sometimes it's like 15 minutes between a set in your heat and like similar to a sunset or something and you just can't make a wave happen. So it's really up to that, but you can just enjoy that atmosphere, that stadium, the people. I, I miss the Aussie crowds. They're just such a genuine surf fan and they love it and all the people down there already are counting down they're like i can't wait to see like all the best and they're already walking around in their jerseys so i just I, yeah i truly just want to be there how early do you turn up to let's just say i mean i'm sure it varies year to year and event to event but let's just say the rip curl pro bell's beach how early are you gonna leave your little fortress of solitude in Jeroa <laughs> and and turn and turn up back at bells and settle in and get into a rhythm there yeah, having um, already had some um, some spells down there. So for me, it's just about um, driving down, relax. We've always driven down. It's about like 10-hour drive. Um, I'm going with my family who haven't been on tour for like a couple of years because of COVID. So um, that's a real thrill. And, yeah, that's the full nostalgic feeling, like just driving down what we call the Hume Highway. And you just like fully just in the country, like vibing, um, get through Melbourne, get down there, air, little Airbnb down in um, Jan Jarkett. It, yeah, it's just so cool. And 
not only the surfing, but just for me now, I love my running, just doing the trails out along the, the cliffs and um, the buzz in town. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be such a good week. So the CT has not come to Bells Beach since it must be 2019, right? Because mm. we didn't we didn't go there in 2020. We didn't go there last year. And I want to say that you were not riding sharp eye surfboards last time we competed there. Is that right? Correct. I was on JS. JS. Thank you. Mm. Sharp eye has had an un. Marcio Zovi is the lead shaper there. Has had an unbelievable run with surfers like yourself the last few years. Um, this is such a massive team on both the men's and the women's CT. And Bell's is a really unique spot for a lot of the reasons that you've already highlighted. How have you found that the boards have worked there? Are you trying anything different um, heading into the event? Yeah, just just generally speaking. I think it's definitely an interesting landscape in terms of what waves are proposed in the new tour and what waves you're expected to thrive in before this cut. Like they're all open ocean, big, like either big waves and hollow or just chunky. And it's a, you know, a part of the surfing where, we really had a focus on sort of like three to four foot like beach break sort of waves for a long time on tour and it was all about speed and, and agility and working towards progression and that kind of things which was more refined boards and we used to start at like snapper and those kind of waves which have that more perfect feel and but once it's just a whole new ball game i feel like and so i'm gonna definitely have to shift and um, and change and adapt and I'm going to work on boards and come back to waves like sunset and have more of a presence like with my equipment and as my technique grows at waves like pipeline that I'm actually having the boards assist me and it's no different going down to bells it's big and lumpy and chunky and margarets as well and I just want to have that sense of grip as well that you see some of the greats have on no matter how big the like size of the wall or like how big you want to make your surfing that just that your equipment allows you to do that. So it is a bit of a never ending piece of string. I know that, but um, for me, I think now looking at the, what the new tour is, I feel like I can grow my surfing, which is exciting from just developing my equipment. And at Bell's beach, you know, they, they I guess you'd consider three, well, maybe more, but three primary competitive zones there right you have Rincon, um which is just runs along the rocks there you have the world famous bell's bowl and then you know the next point um up the coast you have a uh, winky pop if you had to well actually let's include it because we run there more often than not and then when we're we're in need of waves we, we travel to joanna if you had to rank those four waves in terms of preference for you in terms of preference for competing how would you rank them start to finish? What would be your, your number one preference versus your last? Oh, that's actually trickier than you think because some of my greatest, so the bowl would be number one. Like mm -hmm. my greatest successes have come at the bowl. Um, you would think you would go for Winky over Rincon, but when the first sort of like seven years on tour, like we'd never surf Winky. Like we would always be put out at smaller Rincon um when it was shifting because they were less likely to go to winky it was only like on a certain weekend and there's all these rules and stuff so sure. <laughs> for me it's kind of like rink on i navigated that really well and it sort of suited my style of surfing and a couple of ways i have around home so um in terms of my surfing performance like i actually had 
an advantage at Rincon. So it's sort of like bowl one, but now that the opportunity that Winky is more regular and I've surfed there a lot more, it's pretty cool when you can get – so it's got a little steeper wall and you can really get some cool – interesting combos like whereas the bowl is a little more predictable of what combos people kind of bring out um right. and it's got the option to kind of go to the air at the end of winky too so winky snuck into second i reckon and and Rincon's back to third i've never surfed joanna um i've only watched the year that um yeah that kelly one there with the broken mm. foot and the alley-oop remember that one oh, and remember, yeah. and then they went one year to if it serves me correctly to Phillip Island to finish. And was it Munro? Was it Trent one? Yeah, Maybe. Trent. And we were joking about he, he should get like a golden penguin as a trophy or something. Yeah, so that's it. So my <laughs> memory stands correct. So, yeah, so that's kind of my order. I know it's a little bit mixed up, but it's just, just plenty of opportunity. And, and to see different faces of like throughout the contest, like you're going to get all these different momentum shifts. It's such an interesting place. And you've touched on it beautifully a few times already and and i and i want to bring this up with western australia too you know so many of our events in australia but in particular bells and margaret river have such strong ties to you know the aboriginal communities there um you know and i think in particular with bells like it's considered one of the the song lines you know sort of the intersecting grids for the 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 dream walk the dream walking, which is really, really special. You know, you've won but both of those events, as I mentioned, you won bells back to back. And it's such a, you know, being there, I'm just kind of getting goosebumps just thinking about it, but like, it just seems like of all the events on tour, both of these events in particular, because of how much they mean to the communities around there feel heightened in a way. And, 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 you know, you being able to ring the bell back to back as an Australian in front of that crowd, it, it must it, it must be something really special. And I was hoping you could describe a little bit for the listeners of how it does feel. Oh, it's such a cool spiritual connection. You just feel something. I think when you, you know, you go around, especially when you're competing and you get picked up on the ski and often that I'll like fully tune out of the heat while I'm going around on the ski because I'll come back around and I'll just look at like the cliff line and you can see all the people dotted along the cliff and everything and the cliffs are almost like glowing and I don't know I just kind of really appreciate the view before I go back into like focusing on what I'm doing in the heat because yeah I I just feel there's a certain power in connecting to what is to what's there and um, I don't know if when you're paddling out and look across the cliff line, it looks like a bird, yeah, the um, the cliff line over its centers and it has mm. like the mouth and the beak and everything. So everything that reminds me of the place, even the other day I was staying in an um, Airbnb kind of cabin out in the bush and you have your regular like regular alarm clocks and um, you just don't even need it because at like 6.20 all the kookaburras started and you just like and it smells of like Aussie bush and then you race like the kangaroos out that like it's a real thing you think like you're making up some tourist like postcard but the place is just yeah hands down just so powerful and spiritual and connected and um and I'll forever remember that like my very first win it was at Bells coming up those stairs and then yeah getting the the indigenous like kind of uh, face paint and everything that happens at the um at the bell ringing ceremony it was just like whoa like I I didn't take that um the face paint off till like gosh I'm pretty sure I slept in it because I got home yeah. and we went to dinner and everyone said leave it on 
I'm known for doing pretty quirky things. Like sometimes, yeah, just leave my rashy on like all the way to dinner <laughs> and stuff. It's a bit weird. But, um, yeah, but that in particular, just getting your face painted and, and like you get like an, um, one of the Aboriginals give you like a gift, whatever it is on the year. And, yeah, you just really hold on to those things. Yeah. Well, it's going to be exciting and um, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what you do across these next two Australian events. we got a couple more topics um, as well as some listener questions, but we're going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. we got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, so we've talked about the upcoming Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. Following that is the Margaret River Pro. Western Australia is a place where I feel like you have an unbelievable uh, track record, specifically at Margaret River. You know, when it came on tour, I've got you three thirds back to back 2013, 2014, 2015, fifth in 2016, a win in 2017, little dip in 2018 with a ninth, but then back to a third in 2019. You know, last year, um, you won the Rotnest event, which while it's not main break Margaret River, is still out west. It seems like you have a really good connection with Western Australia. Um, describe that for us. Oh, for sure. It's similar as we were talking about Bells. It was kind of in the other side of my brain. Because if you think of the country, it just perfectly bookends both ends of the coast. Like they have those same raw elements. Um, it's, it's so similar to the south coast of New South Wales. And, and it is, it's about connecting to the way, the culture, the people, your surroundings. And I can go to these spots and a lot of times people will say, oh, did you go to all the, you know, the tourist stops and did you mm. do this, did you do that? And I purely like just have to go and just be in the surf and like 
just be in the local town getting my food and you have the best conversations and just go for a run off the beaten track and I'm like so content like there's everything I need just like tops up my tank and so to go there and compete I'm just like that's the the bonus obviously putting on the jersey but they're all very complex ways and scenarios (laughs) that you face in a heat like there's so much going on um you go to Margaret's and including that big old rock ledge at the end of the wave that rips your weddy up every time have you ripped weddies on that rock yet oh yeah every time it's nuts like you just <laughs> fall down crevices and roll along that thing but you'll do anything right to get your extra 0.5 like you have to I, I feel i feel like it is one of those things where everyone's just done the calculus and they're like well i gotta get through the heat so like here we go we're, we're, we're going on the race okay. I think John still, he already had like 18 points and he still like ripped his elbow <laughs> off and he's like, <laughs> maybe just like such in like an adrenaline rush that it's all going to plan. And there's, yeah, I guess in your surfing, you just ultimately at those waves, you just go back time and time again and you're just trying to find that perfect section in the jigsaw puzzle to really just like, oh, there's no better feeling, hey, when you just, swing in the bucket of water and no water falls out you know when you do this big carve and you just like high speed because you're pretty far out from spectators at both locations in australia but so it's really just this quiet time with you and the wave until you come in and and greet everyone you won you lost or not but it's just that kind of embrace that they're like yeah yeah how good was that like you just experienced something something you just felt something that's so interesting and i I mean obviously we've all thought of it before but just the what you just commented on with the remoteness of performing at these two waves you know compared to you know it's like a lower trestles right where you're maybe 50 meters off the rocks and the beach is packed and you can probably hear people you know talking into their phones you know from the lineup compare that to margaret river which is a way way out there and you really are just sort of isolated and remote do you feel like those scenarios help you tap into performance in a way compared to maybe just something that's right on the sand or right on the rocks yeah maybe it's a like a testament to even through the covid year a lot of athletes as i said tick differently and some need the big crowds but there was no crowds for most part of like all last year and all these remote locations. Like when I started surfing, obviously from my origins, like I don't show up really. Like there's no one down at home that stands on the beach and cheers or big lineups in the crowd that I'm like hassling with, with for waves. It's just more that purest experience. Like I paddle out to have my experience with the wave. Like, yeah, there's opponents and people in jerseys, but really like I don't really mind who I'm competing against. Like I'll just – go out there and I really want to seek just that that full connection with the wave in that 30 minutes and um, hopefully as I said some of those feels like just tap into those and just experience them in a heat and that's for me that's like the ultimate experience but at waves I guess like Margaret River both in and out of the jersey I just have really memorable like almost like bonding moments like with the waves and my competitors as well like um sometimes when it's big and you just survive a heat together you're just like oh so glad we both came in like not in pieces after that or like I'm free surfing and it was like a really sort of like kind of average more average day and everyone kind of came in you know how there's a bit of wildlife and everyone came in and I was just out there by myself and um someone you know one of my best mates on tour with Courtney Courtney was like 
you know how far that puddle is? Like she went all the way in and then saw that I was out there. She's like, oh, I can't leave Fitzy out there by herself. She paddled all the way back out, like caught paddled all the way back out and just was like, oh, like just let me know when you finish. Like I just, I don't know, I just wanted to make sure like not leave a soldier behind kind of thing. And she just like waited and caught a couple more waves and then we came in together. Like things like that I just remember and I'm like, there's something about this place that allows you to connect to yourself, the wave and and your competitors, but your friends. I was going to ask you about that. So, so in that scenario, and I'll, then I'll get to my question. Did you know that there had been, um, you know, scary fish alert that had sent some people in and you're like, I'm fine. I'm going to stay out. Or did you just not know? And Courtney paddled back out and was like, Hey, did you, uh, did you hear that? You know, something swam through here and we all left. Yeah. Well, they didn't even say, maybe there had been something, but no one said anything on that. Day. <laughs> right, like, yeah. I just paddled out and everyone just was like, finish this off. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I just got out here. I might like, so far, <laughs> maybe I'll catch a couple, and then <laughs> she's just gone like, oh, maybe. And I, there's similar experience once when I was like, I really want to go experience the box, but there was only a couple of bodyboarders out, and it was because it was a smaller day, and they came in. Yeah, and and for sure, you're just like there was a bit of an alert that day, and so it's right. just something to be mindful of, and you're like, oh, okay, like it's good to have a buddy system, and um, but yeah, that was like an unspoken one, and thought was just yeah, it's really aware, and she was just like, hey, I'm not leaving a mate, just you know, by themselves. I, I found I found that in surfing and even especially I'm being fortunate enough to get to go surf over there a few times. It's so beautiful. But there is like a weird hive mind that takes over the surfers when that happens because you're like, I think I saw something. I don't want to be the person panicking and saying something. Yeah. And then then the other surfers kind of do the same thing and then they just kind of go in and then everyone's just like, we think, I don't know, like, I don't know. Like, and that, it's like no the non-communication. Like like, That's right. No, no one puts no, a sign no when they drive away. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. But I was going to ask yeah. you, because you are notorious for being wherever we are in the world, first out, like well before dawn, most of the time. I, and I try to sneak in sometimes early because that's my window to surf, but I'd never beat you. And I'm wondering, you know, outside of the experience you just detailed, you know, is that on your mind a lot, whether you're warming up for a surf or competing or free surfing at home, just the wildlife component, because it's so unique in surfing. And if it is on your mind, how do you process that in a way where you feel like you can train and perform and get something out of the session? And also, I mean, have you had any other experiences where it's like, oh, no, I had to get out of the water kind of thing? I'll take it to, if I'm talking to my competitor right now, Dave. I'd say mm. take it to my grave. First day out, I was out there all day and I'm always training, <laughs> never sleeping. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on my tombstone. I was here. Um, no, I definitely feel this day and age, like logic comes into it for sure. Mm. Like there's moments when, especially now because I've transitioned from grom energy and body like i'm aware of as an athlete as i progress like how to use my energies like appropriately and and what i'm going to channel them into so in terms of yeah waking up early where possible like it's a great time of the day but it's not as if now <laughs> these day and age like there was a um a bit of a cross-section in generations like there is now but <laughs> when i first came on tour a lot of um uh, the older women, yeah, they just <laughs> they they didn't so early at all. Like I was there by myself. I was like, oh my gosh, this is effort. I can just get all the way as I want. <laughs> and then as it fast forward, then Courtney qualified. She's never gonna not be up early. And then everyone just 
proceeded to go like, oh, that's the best time. Everyone has to be out there. So, yeah, I've got a good understanding with uh, with Steph on when Gentlewoman's Hour is where we <laughs> where we know when they all go in and we can actually, like, get a wave and some peace. So, um, yeah, in terms of wildlife, I think it's just the feeling and especially after we experienced Maui um, mm. and I was right there, like, jumping into the water and where, where the attack was, like, I was paddling from the boat ramp like every day and that definitely could have been me. Um, so it's I know it's a time when it's a time and we're playing in their space, but, um, yeah, definitely when there's been heavy rain and there's a lot of fish activity and it's just good to know, wait for the skis and, and know that the WSL have the protocols and stuff so that they're looking out for us. So, yeah, just being a little smarter in terms of when and what you're trying to achieve. Makes sense. We talked about this a little bit and, and you mentioned, you know, look, like whatever happens in these next two events, I feel like I'm still surfing at an elite level. I still love competing. I'm, I'm going to be competing, you know, whether I'm going to Garagegon after Western Australia or I'm going to Snapper Rocks, I'm going to compete. So it sounds like you've, you committed to whatever happens in the next couple of events, you're going to be, you know, working either towards another WSL finals five berth on the championship tour or working towards requalifying from the challenger series uh, for the 2023 championship tour. And we just announced the, the updated challenger series calendar. And, you know, the feedback that I've gotten on the side is that it's great venues, right. In terms of, you know, snapper rocks in may could be pumping. We got manly, we've got, um, you know, Belito us open Hossegor, Arisera, I'm missing some, you know, Haleiva. It the Challenger Series, is, as far as qualifying events goes, has got some really elite level waves, which for someone of your talent probably suits your surfing in a big way. Yeah, I feel as though my path and um, my way through this whole journey has set me up to like it's almost like weighted perfectly, like to have the perfect amount of like pain and struggle and success and like I've got enough evidence to say that on my best day like it can all happen all the way to the top like I've been right there to nudge that title and and whatnot so I yeah I think when I look at what's proposed like I just feel there's just so much more in in my tank and competitively what I want to display and get the opportunity to display in my surfing um, until I get to that moment where I don't feel my surfing's relevant, then that's another conversation. But I'm I'm under no illusion as well that you can just like like I said that analogy with Ash Barty, like swinging mm. freely doesn't mean just to try and perform well in these two events. It's like it's also seeing that these two events are a possible warm up for going to snapper as well. Like when you meet these challenger series pedigree, and from what I'm aware and what I've watched and their talent level. It's going to feel like you've got like a pack of, instead of 18 women, it's going to feel like you've got like how many is in the drop? Like 64. Right. It's like a triple whammy, like CT, like staring at you that you have to get through. So it almost like it increases the volume as well. It's not as if like you're lowering down to this level that you can just like, oh, the scores just come easily. It's just like, it's it's there to be like this is a whole other layer that sometimes you go into and you and you can't even get back up to the top because the layer is so high or I mean the level's so high or um it's just a feat. So I just appreciate all levels and all tiers and the hunger 
from all the athletes to to push this sport and it is in the world of women surfing it's been it's in such a healthy place and uh, yeah and I think that's when you're in that sweet spot when you just you're challenged but you know deep down that on your best day that you can really stand above the rest I think that's right. I think, and I think women surfing in particular is at this inflection point where we are going to start to see a lot more fluidity in terms of elite level talent. I mean, I think that we're at this generational point where we're seeing a younger generation come in, but just also more expansion in terms of more surfers who can compete at that elite level. I think if you look at last year, you look at someone like a Brisa Hennessy who fell off the CT right in Mexico performed on the challenger series, got back on and is now world number one, you know, won her first CT at sunset beach. And, and I just use her as an example, because I think that there's going to be a lot more blending between CS surfers and CT surfers, I think on both the men's and women's side moving forward. But uh, the fact that everyone has like this awesome platform in terms of venues to perform on is only going to kind of, you know, the rising tide will kind of lift all boats in that situation. Cause like 10 people, it's really few people when you think oh. about it. Like imagine in the tennis at the Grand Slam, they're like, okay, 10 people at the Grand Slam, but you make it and then the rest are just like sent off to, to challenge away, like on the Challenger Series. Like it's just such a small window and you just have to respect that. It's really hard to get there, but really hard to stay there. And um, I think it, it is. It's just as well, like you said, it's just, a body of work that you can't take on to the next year and say that you've earned something from that. Like you, there's no hand, you can't just put your hand out and go like, oh, I deserve something because I put effort in. (laughs) Everyone's putting in the effort. Like you just have to kind of like enjoy those memories but show up again and, and as, you know, a fresh clean slate and just go, oh, I'm ready to start from the start again, which is ultimately as you, carry on through your athletic career it is it's, it's harder to digest when you think i've got to start again but that's nuts <laughs> and then you really go well if that's what it takes then if you're willing to do it you'll do it for sure you mentioned uh being a part of the very first olympics that included surfing you got to represent australia the next olympics so i'm gonna have to use my notes here Paris, France in 2024. Um, rumor is that uh, surfing part will be held in Tahiti, TBD. 2028 is in Los Angeles, uh, TBD on where they're going to hold the surfing event. But in 2032, it'll be the Brisbane Olympics. And so that's 10 years from now. You will be 41, if I'm right, 41. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you think that you would still be competing at a high enough level to represent Australia in the 2032 games? And if so, what it, would it mean to you to be able to represent Australia at the next Olympics that is in Australia? Yeah, so much to digest in that question, Dave. There's, yes. Deep as deep. I said, that pipeline, once you presented with like, even it's so, I guess it's, it's the whole concept, it's still in its infancy because you still don't really know how qualification works even for Tahiti and sure. you start to look at the pipeline and if this year isn't going to plan really, it's like, oh, does that mean next year when you're supposed to qualify, you're not even – because with the Australia team, some of the regions, like they're so stacked that if you're not 
on that tour in those couple of spots, like up the ladder in the top five, then it's it's not really a realistic, like viable possibility that you're going to be in it. So sure. you sort of put it to the side and it's one of those, it is, it really is bonus level. Like you're playing pinball and you're just like, oh my gosh, I, like I just shot up into that part of the frame and, and it hit Olympics and like I'm going. Like because it is, all the planets have to align. Um, there's only two spots. You can't force it if you're not there. You can't like really go, oh, okay, we're going to do this event right before like the ISAs or something and and if that went to plan because it's different regions, different situations. Um, I'd like to think that I'd be somewhat just to be involved with the Olympics when they come here would be amazing. I don't know where I'll be in my timeline. Obviously, there's so many young whippersnappers coming through um, and, and that's awesome for Australia. So... Um, but I'll definitely be in some capacity, like supporting the team. Obviously, to be part of the team would be one of those Kelly feats, being <laughs> that old. I'd have to call out Steph on this one. I think she did a podcast I was listening to, and she mentioned that she might be 38. And I was like, what birth certificate are you rocking? <laughs> For 2022. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, I think you would be a couple on me. So, um yeah, so we'll, we'll see, but I think the whole thing's still super exciting. Like even LA is um is a possibility, but to see where surfing will go in the Olympic realm, and um well when I'm well down the track, just to see how entrenched it gets, then um I just think we'll we'll have a great stable because we have a great structure coming from Australia that it'll keep providing like a really strong team that will buy for medals. So um, I'll either be cheering or I'll be in it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we've taken up enough of your time with with, with my questions, but we uh, we did put it out to the Instagram community, and we got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions for Sally Fitzgibbons. But we've narrowed it down to to three. First question is from at lull underscore a underscore o seven, and their question is, "What is your favorite preheat snack?" Oh, for some reason, like when I get anywhere near a competition, obviously bananas is pretty. I know that's a no brainer. But like PB and J's or just like peanut butter and banana for some reason. Maybe it's like when I was a kid, something like that. And when you don't even have, you know, when you're in different countries and there's like you don't even have bread to like make a sandwich or anything. Right, yeah, <laughs> you just like sure. cut the banana in half and you just like put it put it in between and you're just like, oh, well, this will do. And for some reason that's the best staple, whether you're in – Mexico in the desert or like anywhere you just like oh it just settles everything down and yeah I'm ready to compete I like it. it it always goes back to the simplest things I remember reading about like the whoever I forget his name but like the world's sort of leading ultra distance marathoner the guys that do like 100 you know mile marathons and stuff and he's sponsored by all these guys. He's a very like cerebral dude. And, and they're like, what do you use? He's like, yeah, I've tried like the gels and stuff because, you know, these are like hours long races. He goes, but honestly, I just I just make myself like bean and rice burritos and I put them in my fanny pack and I just eat them while I'm running. Like, that's the best <laughs> thing. And it's like it's everything kind of boils back down to the elemental. It's like, yeah, peanut butter and banana, like bean and rice burrito, whatever works like. Yeah, you get like the most fancy like solution to everything. And you say, oh, I'm pretty happy just with some nut butter and some banana. And then when you run out, like someone in the locker room always has it. Like right. if you, <laughs> even secrets, if you don't tell them that secrets, you've yeah. something out of their locker. <laughs> I like it. All right. The next question is from Et Sergio Sangerman, who asks, do you know 
much about shaping boards or do you leave that all to the shaper? Oh, I definitely wish, you know, you have that like bucket list kind of thing. Mm. You wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I just could speak another language. I could kite surf, I could snowboard, all those things that are still on your bucket list. That's like definitely one of them that you just could shape your own boards, wake up and be like, oh, I had an idea, like one of the old school crew and just right. you were the MR and just went in and just was like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And you could feel it on a wave. That to me is like, experiencing the expression the whole way through like the whole artistic expression of what we're doing I can imagine that you're just like yep I know exactly like I can talk in the surfer terms back to shapers but it's all in like weird expressions and like you know when it's like ah and it's not like eh, and it's just like <laughs> and it just was like a bit behind me and I wanted it to be there and it's like I think to myself oh that conversation made no sense but to me, it makes sense, but I wish I could short term, but yeah, re- relate that into shaping my own board. So watch this space. <laughs> I like it. Shapers I've, are some of my favorite people to talk to. So if you have a shaper, go out and buy them a beer. It's totally worth it. But if you get one or two oh, beers in yeah. them, one of my favorite questions is to be like, who's your favorite team writer and why? And it always boils down to communication. And it's like oh, the answer yeah. is never what you expect. It's always someone who they're like, you know what, this person articulates exactly what I need to hear. I put it into the board, it works. And then they're like, my other team writer is just like, I don't even, they hand me notes and I'm like, thanks, I don't need those. I don't know what they're saying. Yeah, like the best um, experience was from last year were some of the bus rides on Rottnest Island because we had to Mm. catch a bus, remember, to go and it was like, and then you had to walk like two kilometers. And when I got on the bus and Geordie and Jeremy were both on the bus, and you just have the whole way you're just talking about boards and, and then like the best conversations you'll ever have. I was yeah. just like, oh, this is genius. And the boys are so good with um, obviously because Geordie shapes as well. So it's yeah. um, really helpful. And it's like three things too I've noticed with CT surfers. Like there's a camp where they're like, I know nothing about boards except feel. Don't talk to me about them. I don't even want to know about it. Just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to know my dimensions. Just give me the thing that works. Like I want, I want nothing else. And then there's the camp that's like, I know everything about shaping, but I don't have the tactile dexterity to actually do it, you know? And then there's the third camp that's like both, right? They're like, I understand shaping, I actually do it. But it they're different skills, right? Being able to understand design, but then also just having the like artistic talent to actually use your hands to craft something. It's that's that's just doesn't come naturally to everybody. Cause like Ke- Kelly has like the most I see him as like Yoda, right? But does he shape boards that you know? I've heard he does, and I've heard he likes it. And it does seem like, just playing armchair psychologist here, it does seem like something he'd really enjoy because he can get, like, very obsessive over it, right? But I'd imagine that at the end of the day, like, where when he has the world's best shapers and literally all of the world's best shapers probably clamoring to build him boards, it boils down to, like, a cost-benefit for time where he's like, Yes, I could spend two hours shaping a board for myself, but I can also spend two hours doing something else for myself and I can have all these great shapers build me boards instead. So I think that's probably where he ends up. But yeah, I have heard he can shape and I've heard, I think I even heard it back in the day from Al Merrick where Al's like, when he stops competing, he's going to be a world-class shaper because he's a great shaper. Yeah. I bet you that's on his bucket list to, to surf a board that he's shaped in a heap. I can't believe he hasn't done it already. He's done so much other weird ah. shit. Yeah. We're challenging him here. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's Heard right. He listens. He's on listener line. number one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last question from the Instagram community is from at Harvey Norman AU, who asks, we are all excited to start traveling again. And you, Sally, have an enviable passport. Do you have a favorite location? Oh, that's like anywhere, everywhere. Like we go on tour. It just gives you just the ultimate sense of adventure and freedom. And um, yeah, and I guess um, having Harvey Norman on board, like I've actually been more psyched in the last few years to come home because it hasn't always been an option. So, um, but yeah, Harvey Norman jumped on board. So that's really special. They're supporting grassroots all the way through to tour life um, on our Aussie league. So that's going to be a thrill for me partnering uh, with them. But yeah, as I think looking at what's proposed after the Aussie league, how can you not be excited? doesn't matter what tour, where you get sent, like out of our WSL community, everyone's just going to be like all over the globe. And um, so, yeah, I literally can't pick. I just like packing the suitcase, seeing where I end up. We go to some special spaces. I, I was going to ask you this too, because I thought about it a lot with myself. So when I started on tour and certainly before, definitely before, it felt like from a professional surfer standpoint, it was, I'm a professional surfer. I'm going to use my talent to get to travel the world, live my life and experience. And there's all sorts of excess in terms of partying, et cetera, et cetera, but a lot of experience. And then it kind of felt like there was a window where it became very specialized. I know I did just working around the tour where I'm like, no, I don't want to go to the Louvre. Like I'm, I want to go to like the Southwest of France and surf all day in between work. Like <laughs> like the world's worst tourist, you know, for like the amount of opportunity I had. And then as I got older, I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm very fortunate to go where we go. Like, yes, it's great to surf, but it's also good to do other things, even if it's not going to the Louvre, like just experiencing the community. And I was wondering, you mentioned it yourself in terms of going to West Oz and being like, I, you know, I love going on the trail runs. Do you feel like as you've gotten a little more mature that you've become a little bit better of a traveler in terms of getting... What am I trying to say? Like more diverse experiences out of your trips than maybe just like, I'm here, I surf, and that's it? Oh, I think it just so depends on the person because mm. like I'm, I go to these places not to be a tourist. I go to like yep. live. Like I take my life to these places. I set up like the coolest little wherever it is, like Airbnb and usually like the host I've seen um, or been back to a few times and they become a bit like family and stuff and like just integrating into the local community is like more than enough for me. And mm. I know everyone sort of goes like, oh, but there's so much to see. And maybe there is a 2.0 of travel, but while my focus is to get to the locations, like it's just, it's exhausting as well at the same time. So like to get to the start line and be energized, like that whole lead up, week lead up kind of takes everything of me to just like settle in. And that's, I'm just like, I'm stoked on, just like you get really stoked on your own program and who you are and what makes you tick as you get older. And so it's not, yeah, you don't feel as like, oops, I like there's all these people traveling, like proper travel. Like, you know, everyone says that. They're like, you're not traveling. You're just like right, yeah. going and doing your normal day. And I was like, maybe my normal day is awesome enough. So um, like you said, I know it, the diversity will come through the opportunities and the different I guess, phases I go through, like from athlete to next chapter and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's pretty cool though because like there's so much to look forward to. <laughs> I like it. Well, those are the questions from the Instagram community. Thanks to everyone who writes in at, at the lineup pod on Instagram and Twitter. And while you've done this before, we're going to do it again. Our last segment is the lightning round. 
10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. You've heard these before, so it's like taking your driver's test again. We'll see, and we'll see if you match up. We'll see if you do better or worse than last time. First right. question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? After our board talk, I've still got so much to learn on my thruster. So sticking with the thruster. Coffee or tea? Still tea. You remember. Burrito or pizza? Ah, this one, I was pizza last time because I had prawn pizza for dinner. And then this time I literally woke up and I was like, I'm making these, like one of my favorite chefs was like, had, you know, one of those real things and he was making this mad burrito. So I'm going burrito. I like it. Did you say prawn pizza? Yeah. Have you had prawn pizza? Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I'm just making sure. I feel like, I feel like that's a, it's a fairly Australian centric thing. And I, and I, and I, I have a feeling that some of our non-Australian listeners may like take umbrage with it where it's like it's the sort of like people that also don't like pineapple on their pizza i like them both but yeah good choice yeah. all right but we're doing burrito i'm all for it okay last book you read uh it was last night i read my cookbook some of it all year round because i made this kind of orange ginger salmon with mm. the soba noodles and greens. So I read that if I wasn't reading my cookbook and cooking, I would say I'd, I'd say just Aussie writers. I try to support our locals. So any Trent Dalton books, like he's just a weapon. He's amazing writing. So Trent Dalton. I like it. Best surf film ever. Oh, I said trilogy last time. Okay. It's, it's really hard to beat because it's like so it's nostalgic. I can still remember all the songs. Oh, same. But why don't you go, what, what about if you had to pick a segment in Trilogy? If you only watch one before your warm-up, what would you, what would you watch? Uh, oh, definitely. You know Taj's section where he kind of goes like macaronis as well and then he goes to crumbly. I don't know what the right was, maybe. And he goes and he kind of does like the carb to air kind of oh, yeah. combos and stuff and those like thinners. But I think as well, I was listening to Julian the other day um, and it got me all nostalgic and I went back and I was like watching these Young Gun segments and stuff. All right. Um, yeah, because it was like, I don't know what pod he was talking about on, but um, yeah, it usually depends on who I've listened to and then I go and just try and remember and relive that segment because they're so pivotal. How's when you're like doing your shopping or something? you're going down the aisle and then a song comes on and you're like, oh my gosh, that's that segment. You're just like, that's like Geordie at Durban or something. And you're just like, oh, and you just stop. And you start, that's that song. And everyone around you just like, doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's right. I feel like most of my musical tastes have been like the, the entry point with some surf film. And same with you. I'll be like, I'll be in like a coffee shop and something will come on and I'm like, yep, stranger than fiction, you know, circus. <laughs> <laughs> like, so getting all amazing. amped and I'm like, where's that song? We're gonna get psyched. Yeah. All right. all right. One wave you never have to go back to. I don't know what I said last. Oh no, I remember I said Brazil when that, like, you know, when that river emptied out in yep. Baja. Baja de Tijuca. Um, yep. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Fun wave, but yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind yeah of, the wave. We were we were all in that hotel, and we all had like an aerial view, and you could see the the river brown line moving over into like that really beautiful blue water, and it was just like, oh wow. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> no, no. Um, so anywhere that has like yeah, massive rain or brown water, it's so hard to surf like with a clear mind. You're like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Maybe <laughs> even this would be a controversial one. 
after my last experience. Maybe like pipe when it's like washers on shore and just like psycho. That is so scary when it's not oh. like even in the spot and you're just like, that's just too much to bear. <laughs> I, I'd rather I, do a run along the beach and watch it. <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't, I don't think that's controversial. Like, I mean, I've, I've had the good fortune of staying in and around that zone enough to where there's been those afternoons, like you've said, where it's like it's huge, it's washing through. Maybe, like, maybe uh, one wave an hour is makeable, oh. and then you still see people who are like, "Yep, I'm going to spend eight hours out there today to try to go get one," and I'm like, I and I was saying this last winter where I'm like, number one, I could never do that ever. But then number two, it was to me, it was like, I'm starting to get to that age where I'm like, the amount of time that people commit just to get one or two waves out there is actually more daunting than the wave itself. Where I'm like, I don't have eight hours for that. Like, that's insane. And and I always say to test the specialist, hats off. I tip my hat to the specialist because they always have to walk in and say, it was so fun. And I was like, was it? <laughs> so, yeah, we get it. Yeah. All right. If you could only surf one wave for the rest of your life. Uh, and you can dream cast it. It could be whatever conditions you like oh, every day. Yeah, dream cast it. Yeah. So this is definitely hitting like this is not so lightning, is it? I'm I really I don't even know what my last one was. Something there, definitely lefts or rights, barrel at the start, big like wrap combo, air section but not onto rocks would be preferable. And the wind swings like halfway through the day, so that like the air wind's good on both sides. Duran Bond, it's the best wave in Australia. Oh, but there's just so many people. <laughs> well, yes, we're dreamcasting. <laughs> it's just you and me, and we can be on different peaks. It's no yeah. problem. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everyone, never, no one had discovered it. Yeah, and, Mick's going to come yeah. hunt me down because he he, he, <laughs> he constantly gives me shit for like highlighting how good of a wave that is. He's like, stop telling people about that. It's much better than people are supposed to think. I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, tri- you tripled the people. It's all your fault. Yeah, I'm like, yes, so, I'm the one adding people there. Thanks, okay. Um, yeah. Okay, best person to share a lineup with? Definitely home, my pops, my dad, and um, and my friends at home. It's too good. Or just the wildlife at home. I've got like these crazy seagulls and stuff that come over and that only come over when I'm in the surf. I never see them any other time. It's kind of bizarre. They got two seals and potted dolphins and probably the big fellas too, but we won't we don't talk about that as much. <laughs> they don't they don't come around to say hi. It's just the the regulars. Yeah. yeah, so home for sure. Okay. Worst person to share a lineup with. No. <laughs> Well, it depends what you're looking for, but if you're looking for a wave, then tour yep. is, is really <laughs> standard <bad to> answer. <laughs> is tour, um, but if you're looking for a real life surf movie, for sure, come on tour. That's just it's insane. Last one. Uh, finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by already happy after this conversation with Dave <laughs> on the lineup pod. Stoked, and then um, next big egg would be driving down the coast with my family to go to Bells, which I've done for twenty odd years. So special. I love it, Sally Fitzgibbons. Thanks for coming back on the lineup. Uh, congratulations on your already incredible career. Looking forward to you. Probably only at the halfway point if you're not even there yet. Looking forward to what you do at the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach coming up on April 10th. Go ring that bell. Ring-a-ding-ding. Let's go. It's going to be so fun. Thanks for having me, Dave. And we'll see you down there. Stoked. 
So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Australia's Sally Fitzgibbons. Today's episode brought to you by Harvey Norman. I hope you enjoyed it. Stop number four on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, commences its waiting period on April 10th and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. The pressure is on for the world's best surfers as they look to shore up their qualifying positions ahead of the mid-season cutoff in Margaret River for CT number five. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumaye, and the Woody Woody Aboriginal people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.